This is Paul Nobles from Eat Form. I am sitting here with April Blackford. April, do you want to say hi to everyone? Hi, everyone. I feel like we need fancy like podcast music now or something. You know, like we're we're doing it wrong. Um, so, anything interesting happening? You know, going into I don't know if we're supposed to like pretend that these podcasts go. You know, aren't you know, chronologically happening, but right now it's, it's very close to Christmas time. And so, um, it's kind of stressful around here in the, in each form land, um, you know, trying to get ready for the new year. And that's actually what the majority of this podcast is going to be about. Um, anything happening in your world, April? Um, just busyness. Um, I had my country Christmas with my sister yesterday, which consisted of shooting pool, shooting guns, and riding the gator through the um woods. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious! The, um, yeah, the uh, no, no, nothing, nothing like that happening here. Um, I did. We actually. Uh, my wife had book club and uh so I, I walk in you know i dropped my daughter off at skating came back home uh you know came into the kitchen to grab something to eat and i hear my wife talking about um she's like yeah when we were in aruba and i was like oh man i know where this is going um and so so I'll tell you guys the story before we start getting into um, some of the the habits for next year. But basically, uh, for those that don't know, um, I played poker professionally for a number of years, and it's sort of interesting because you know I think people glamorize the the lifestyle you know because of movies or something of that nature i can just tell you that it was not very glamorous the good majority of the time um there were some funny stories that came from it um i'll just tell you that that the good majority of people are broke a lot and they have a few people that do well um you know there's a there's a a number of people that are obviously kind of contributors to the to the bigger pool um, I was not like a huge shark or anything like that, but I did well for myself. Um, and I sort of lived on the periphery. And so the story that I'm going to tell you guys about is the story that my wife was telling the ladies from book club. So we went out and for those that don't know, I don't drink alcohol. And so we were out at a club, but I do like going to, to nightclubs and having a good time and stuff like that. Right. And uh, we we were there, and pretty much like any like if you know who poker players are, they were there with us at that time. So you know, virtually anyone that you can think of, you know, I probably have their phone number. Not because you know we're like best of friends or anything like that, but that was just sort of how poker worked, you know. And uh, you, you know, made these relationships. They were somewhat casual. And some of it was based on, you know, games that would need to be played or, or whatever. Or some of it was just like 
chance encounters that you would have had similar to the one I'm going to describe. So we were out at this club, probably there for, for three to four hours. Um, and we had a rental car and, uh, I was ready to leave and I see like this group of, of, of guys that actually went on, you know, one of the guys actually two years ago, I think won $25 million in a poker tournament. So, um, that, that was a pretty big deal. And, uh, you know, the, there's been a number of them that had a number of, uh, of successes. And so this was sort of early on, I think, you know, it would have been like 2006. So not many people knew of all these people at this point, And they all went on to, to do great things. And so, uh, so as we're leaving the club, the guys asked me if I want to go to the other isle- the other side of the island. And I knew that the other side of the island was basically where there were whorehouses, right? And so um, I was like, no, I don't really have any interest in that at all. And I have to tell you guys, like, you know, the – being around Vegas and, and being around that lifestyle a lot, you know, strip clubs and like whorehouses and stuff like that, I think are possibly the grossest, <laughs> yuckiest scenarios you could ever be involved with. But it was very clear to me as the one person that doesn't drink that all these guys that drink were going to get into a car and go to the other end of the island and then, you know, we were going to see like, you know, six dead poker players. So I felt, you know, some level of responsibility as like the, the, the one clear headed person to sort of, you know, um, kind of make the situation safe as, as possible. And so we, we drive to this other end of, of, you know, Aruba no one really knew like what to expect, where to go, you know? So at one point, and I mean, in some ways I wish I could tell you guys who these, these people were, but it wouldn't be fair to them for me to do that. But you have literally one of the biggest names in poker yelling out the, the window, you know, where to, you know, where can we find whorehouses? <laughs> Right. Um, and so so it was it was kind of hilarious to be the driver in this scenario. And then the only thing that I can say is that someone did direct us to where the whorehouses were. And I sat like in like this main area. I don't really know what went on. I mean, I assume what went on. Right. Um, but. It, I just remember being like the most uncomfortable thing in the whole world, right? So then I drive everybody back to the main hotel and, you know, I go into my hotel with my wife and kids and, you know, I say to my wife, like, hey, I just got to tell you because, you know, this might come up, you know, like we were just at whorehouses <laughs> and, um, 
And she was like, you know, really distraught by it. I tried to explain the situation that, you know, definitely bothered her for a short while. And then, you know, I, I was like, I don't know what you expected me to do in that scenario, but I just wanted to make sure that these people were safe. So, so that was the story that she was telling. Um, I'd love to tell you that it's my only experience with hookers and things of this nature. But when you're, you know, maybe I, I mean, if people are interested in these stories, I can tell them, you know, over and over, but, um, you know, in that world, you know, that type of stuff was common to have, you know, like the women of the night or whatever, you know, they sort of live off of the economy. <laughs> okay. So I have one other story really quickly. So, we were, um, we played at a game locally. This was before like poker became a big deal. Um, and young people were playing poker online. Um, this was probably, I was probably in my early twenties and occasionally in this local game, there would be, you know, um, a couple guys and they would, you know, turn on, the television into like racy channels on cable and i was like guys you know how this is going to end up and almost always the game would end up bad because like half of the people at the table would then leave and go seek out you know women that they could pay to be with so um so just to give you some idea of like it ain't this glamorous lifestyle where there's, you know, women trying to be with you. If they're trying to be with you, basically they're trying to be with you for pay, right? Um, so, so um, but sadly, that's not even close to, um, but, but I can't tell you how many poker games got broken up in that scenario because someone would start watching, um, you know, something on HBO that was, you know, got, got one or two guys worked up. So I, I, I thought I'd share that, that, that was my holiday story. Right. Um, so, 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 so what, book were they, what book were they reading at the book club? 50 shades of gray. No, <laughs> the, um, I don't, I have no idea. Um, and, and the, the fact that, that they call it book club, I think is, is funny because it's not book club, it's wine club. Um, but it's, but they don't read the books either. They listen to them. You know, no one, no one reads books anymore, I guess. Um, so one of the things that we wanted to talk about today that's coming up a lot in group coaching, um, if you're not familiar with Eat to Perform, <laughs> you're probably like, what the heck did I just turn on here? Um, we have... The coaching forms that support for the books. So if you have a question or two about the books that, you know, people buy, you know, we have 60 coaches that can help you with that. We then have a group coaching program that's for, you know, more acute needs, people that have need more accountability, things of that nature. So one of the things that's sort of coming up are kind of like these, these trends related to the holidays and people's struggle with the holidays um, including myself. So I think that that's going to be kind of an interesting um, part of things. So I wanted to kind of lead this off as sort of like 
you know, a five tip segments, but it, but it might be more than five tips by the done by the time April and I are done talking. And um, the one thing that I wanted to say is that if you normally work out and you normally are tracking food or in a good regimen, but the holidays sort of mess you up because they're stressful or there's various things, parties that you're going to or you know, work gets busy, like in the case of, of April and myself, um, we're doing a lot of preparation for January 1st. Um, and we have a number of people that we're onboarding into the group coaching program, and that will only increase um, by a large number in the next month, a month and a half. Um, we are going to uh, make a pitch next weekend. Uh, I would suggest that if you think that that's a need for you to jump in, because we're probably not going to have the ability to do it because there's going to be so many people coming in from just the, the, the main purchase, you know, um, Avenue that they're going to put a huge demand on the system. So if you've been kind of a long time eat former and you've been thinking of joining group coaching, doing performance focus, fat loss or whatever, this is a good time to do that. So the one thing that I wanted to talk about, is that when you are out of a cycle of, you know, you're, you're going to the gym good, you're eating good, things of that nature, and you sort of break the cycle a little bit, part of the advantage that you have coming back is that your body remembers how strong you used to be. And so you can get back to that place relatively easily. But I think more than anything that your people view it as a negative, like maybe my cardio has gone down or maybe I'm not as strong as I was you know, a couple of weeks ago because obviously I've got a lot of things on my plate. What I wanted to say to people in that scenario is that the best advantages you get when you work out or when you're deconditioned. So what I think happens for a lot of people, and, and we're going to really make a big push for this going into 2016, is people view the way that, you know, December happens for them as kind of this negative thing. And actually, it's quite positive if you look at it from the right perspective because when you're deconditioned you're obviously going to make the biggest improvements and so you know, don't look at it as sort of this net negative because you had to prioritize different things in your life I, I think that that's actually one of the enduring messages of this is that whereas most other systems are kind of you know wanting you to be more rigid all the time and if you could just stick to this one rigid system you would see results we're actually making the argument that those rigid systems are the things that are causing the problem and so 
when you look at a non-rigid system and you say, well, okay, how can I use that to my advantage? Well, like I said, in the case of January, you're coming back, you're getting into more of a flow like you used to be. And so therefore you're going to make, you know, more gains as it relates to muscle mass, more gains as it relates to work capacity and all those things are a good thing. So, you know, rather than looking at it as resolve to eat less or resolve to go to the gym five times, the true resolution should be to accept life on life's terms. And as you accept life's on life's terms, realize that what you view as a negative can be turned into a positive in if you look at it the right way. What are your thoughts on what I'm saying there, April? Um, I agree. And I think ultimately it's kind of about focusing on the picture rather than, you know, I need results right now. And then getting back to the, the restrictive behavior. And, you know, I think the big issue is, is, you know, being more flexible throughout the holidays and then ending up with guilt. You get a little bit of bloat. A lot of people think it's fat, you know, when in the reality it's, it's just bloat, just inflammation and just getting back into your normal routine you know, for a consistent two weeks, and you'll likely be right back where you were before, you know, the holidays. So, yeah, I think the other thing, too, that, you know, when you exercise from a place of guilt, you know, or when you do something out of, a, you know, regret for something else, there's not the same level of, I don't want to say joy, but, like resolve to just continue on that path. You know, I mean, one of the things that we, we try to get people to do is do something that they enjoy. I mean, not every single thing that you do that's going, you know, maybe you wouldn't enjoy logging food or maybe you wouldn't enjoy doing some level of metabolic conditioning. But when it contributes to an overall system, like for instance, if you were a weightlifter and we told you that some level of metabolic conditioning is going to help your rest and recovery and therefore you're going to get stronger as a result. Well, you might not like the metabolic conditioning piece, but it serves a role, right? I think that that's a much better spot than coming at things from the standpoint of, Oh, I weigh four pounds more. You know, I mean, when when April, you know, says inflammation, the reality is we're talking about water. You know, um, and so you know, realistically, if you can just kind of clean things up, you know, mix in a salad, <laughs> you know, after the holidays, you know, you'll probably be, you will probably be fine. Um, I will also say that the um, if you go to a standard gym and you're not looking for the treadmills, the, the weight section, they're going to be open, right? There's not a whole lot of people, you know, looking to get into that spot. And I think that, you know, we've obviously made that case that there should be some level of resistance training as part of it, 
your overall package. That's the other thing too. I mean, I don't know how, how much we're going to go into, you know, <laughs> counting these um, tips, but, uh, you know, when you uh, have more energy available, obviously the likelihood of, of that turning into lean tissue is going to be a super positive. Um, any other any other thoughts? You know that that's coming up in your calls. That you know, I would say I would say the biggest thing is just kind of the strategy on the larger eating days. Um, the larger eating days, the strategies for that, and I personally follow and what I generally recommend is um, a couple of things is I do the two large meal strategy. I'll generally delay breakfast a couple hours, just kind of what's comfortable, drink a little bit of coffee and then eat a late breakfast and it will be kind of larger and then that will usually keep me fairly full until, you know, dinner and then I'm able to enjoy what I want in moderation. Um, I do try to still keep an emphasis on protein, um, keep an emphasis on protein overall. Um, and I do try to still, still log. I um, mean, I do recommend for people to, the, the only reason why I still recommend for some people to, to log or to at least kind of guesstimate a little bit is because I work with a lot of people that they'll do great during the week and they'll log everything perfectly. And then on the weekends, they log nothing, but they admit that, they go off the rails and it's just their diet's horrible and this and that. And I basically tested them and said, you know, why don't you start attempting to log? You know, I know you don't know what's in it, but at least attempt. And then that way you're more conscientious and aware of, you know, not, it's kind of the, you don't know, don't, you know, if you don't know, then, you know, it's not, you know, as weighing on you. Whereas, you know, if you're freely logging and you know, you've already eaten 3000 calories, you know, you're going to be a little leery about eating 3,000 more calories if you're truly not hungry, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, I would say <clears throat> I'm not a huge fan. Well, it's interesting, okay, so. I think it can go both ways, <laughs> like about well, logging. No, I, I, agree, I agree with you from the standpoint of keeping track. I think that that makes a lot of sense for, for most people. You know, that, um, you know, if if you're trying to be more conscious of health decisions, having days where you don't do it, you know, and, and like the whole cheat meal idea drives me crazy. The fact that, you know, well-known people are still, you know, recommending that. I just think that it sets up such a negative relationship with food. And, you know, when you are following someone and they start talking about cheat meals, what they're really talking about is cheating on their diet, right? So in essence, what they're saying is for the rest of your life, you need to be dieting and then cheating on that diet. And we just don't believe that. You know, we, we believe that that's a bad strategy and sets up a negative relationship with food and that you should enjoy food. I think the other strategy to what, what April's saying is that a lot of people, um, they'll, they'll eat and they're not conscious of their eating. I know for my family, as an example, um, most of them are not very conscious. I do very similar to what April does where you know, I'll put the emphasis on um, 
you know, kind of like leafy greens. Um, I'll put the emphasis on uh, protein. I mean, it, it, people are often surprised at how much turkey I will eat, you know, or ham I will eat. Um, and then, you know, that way the cheesy potatoes just become like a, like a small addition rather than a, a main thing. But I do see, you know, family members, you know, I mean, for you guys that don't know me, you know, I don't really like push, you know, nutrition advice on my family. I think that that would be kind of a shitty holiday. Right. Um, and, but, you know, I will have people like talk to me and I'm like, yeah, you know, you're, you just ate like 2000 calories, man. You know? Um, and they're like, well, how do you know that? I'm like, well, cause I know that mine's roughly about 1200 calories and I know you just ate double what I ate, you know? And I don't think it often occurs to people, you know, that they're eating these really calorie dense, um, foods. And at the, you know, the end of the night or whatever, you know, your, your hour long walk where you're burning 500 calories isn't going to make that big of a difference the next day. Right. And so, so that's something to think about. I do, I do strongly make the argument every single time it's around a holiday that, uh, you lift the next day. You know, um, I think lifting the next day is so much more valuable than than running or, or any type of cardio. Like I said, you're not going to be able to address, you know, every single thing that happened on those holiday days. I mean, we're also talking about food. We're sort of missing like the the 800 pound gorilla. It's really not the food that's the problem. It's the alcohol that's the problem, right? And so if we're talking about alcohol. Not for everybody, but it should be addressed. <laughs> I mean, I do think it is for a lot of people. I think it's a stumbling point, you know. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you're, you're, you know, if you're going for effect, you know, um, your clear liquors, you know, your hard liquor is going to be, you know, best bang for your buck from the standpoint of, of calories and then effect, right? Um, wine's probably a close second. Red would be better than white. Um, beer is something that's very easy to overconsume. Um, I don't think women struggle with beer near as much as men. And then when men start drinking beer, all of a sudden, like, the 2000 calorie plates start to happen too. So they put themselves in storage mode. Um, basically alcohol is going to be viewed as a toxin in your bloodstream. You, that's part of what gives the, the, the tipsy feeling. Right. And so, uh, you know, if you can sort of separate the food part, from the drinking part, that's probably to your benefit. If you are going to be drinking or if you're going to be drinking beer, I would probably stay away from like some starches, things of that nature, maybe go more protein, more leafy greens, and then, you know, kind of do your thing in moderation. 
Um, you know, a couple, you know, micro brew beers, not going to be a big deal. Um, eight to 10, you know, <laughs> big deal. What you were saying in regards to the um, the clear liquors and the wine actually does the same for beer. You know, if you're going to do beer, you generally would do like a craft beer because it has more alcohol content. You get more bang for your buck. Whereas I see my sister yesterday, she was she she pulled out a Michelob Ultra and I was like, why are you drinking that? I'm like, seriously, I'm like, you know, it's going to take you like 14 of those to equate to like three good beers if you like beer you know you're, you're just better off in because in the long run you're going to end up consuming more calories with those bud lights or the light beers or the ultra low carb beers than you are with just actually doing three good beers yeah i think the other point you know i, I think this is sort of the difference in our point of view than than the other people out there you know first of all, if you eat to perform regularly, your metabolism is going to be humming along, you know, so you're not going to have these days where you're eating 1200 calories, then all of a sudden, you know, you're 3000 calories and your body doesn't know what to do with it, you know? Um, and then, you know, you're going to have diarrhea-like symptoms and, and all this other kind of stuff. Your body doesn't want to deal with that kind of stuff. Um, but having, you know, one day, you know, where you're going to have a little bit of excess is really not going to end up as storage. You know, when we're talking about even one pound of, of calories, uh, 3,500 um, calories equals a pound, it doesn't necessarily equal a pound of fat, right? It could equal a pound of muscle. It could equal glycogen stores it could you know be a lot of different things it's not going to necessarily just go to fat storage um so i think that that's one thing that that people need to consider i think the other thing is that you know 3500 calories is a lot of calories so the thought process of you you know consuming 3500 calories you know even if you did consume 3500 calories you know which would be really difficult to do in one meal um, you know, you are burning X amount of calories, you know, throughout that day, you know, so that's not going to represent, um, you know, excess and even that excess does not represent fat storage. So that, that's a little bit of the misconception. Um, we should talk to like new people that basically if you're consuming carbohydrates and we suggest that you should have some level of carbohydrates in in moderation they do require some level of um, water to process roughly three to four times the amount um, that the grams of the carbohydrates is and so oftentimes you'll you know if you see three or four pounds up it's it's just the the added water that hasn't been processed out yet. So if you wanted to have a day the next day where you focused a little bit more on proteins, fats, and, and fibrous vegetables, you could certainly do that and you probably would not die as a result. Um, 
I don't even think that you have to go super low carb on that day, but that's something that you can consider. Um, the other thing that I'm sort of a fan of used to be kind of controversial and not near as controversial now. Um, but I would uh, have, uh, you know, my, my weight training session normally is going to be in the morning because I can have more caffeine. You could then uh, have lower carbohydrate consumption throughout the rest of that day and because of your you know weight training you are going to have that sort of draw on your body and that will allow some of that um, water to be processed so or potentially loaded into your muscle we talked a little bit about it i don't know if it was in our coaches course but when you know when Glucose loads into your muscle. It's not very likely that it gets released in the form of fat. And so that's one of the, the slight arguments for having um, carbohydrates post-workout or some level of, of pre-workout carbohydrates. Um, any, any thoughts on that, April? Um, no, I think you kind of I think you kind of hit it on the head. Um, in, in regards to what you were talking about, loading carbs around your workout and then kind of cutting, you know, kind of cutting back for the remainder of the day. Um, I think that can be a good strategy for some. Um, I just think generally a lot of people, you know, two days, three days later, all of a sudden they're posting, oh my God, I'm so hungry. I don't have any energy. Why am I so hungry? You know, and, and you kind of have to be conscientious and know what your strategy is and know, you know, you got to find the balance, you know, if you, you know, if you cut back a little bit one day, you know, you got to kind of got to pick back up the next day rather than, you know, three days later, you're super, super hungry. And then you overeat because you're hungry, you know, so it's kind of washes out. Yeah. I have to say, I won't be doing that strategy. You know, I'll just be eating normal. You know, um, I'm going to lift weights, um, probably the day after I, you know, I mean, it's basically what Christmas is on on um, Friday. You know, it's actually not Christmas that we actually don't do Christmas really huge. Um, it's certainly nowhere near Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving we have our Thanksgiving, and then on on uh, on Saturday we have another Thanksgiving. So that ends up being kind of a big deal for Christmas. Um, basically we have kind of our family Christmas, which isn't like a huge food thing. Um, you know, everyone sort of brings something you can figure out a way I mean, for the longest time, you know, my wife has eight brothers and sisters. Um, I'm an only child and my family lives in Louisiana and, you know, we'll typically have, you know, 30 to 40 people in the house. For the longest time, I used to actually, when Eat Perform first started, um, I would take pictures of what was being brought. And, and you know, I might take a, t a picture this year, and I'm sure it won't be great. But I can tell you that within the time that Eat Perform started to now, um, things have changed dramatically. Um, there's a huge salad, almost always. There's a veggie tray, um, 
a lot of these things weren't there. A lot of people thought that they were there, but you know, they weren't there. And so a um, lot better options for people that are trying to, to eat healthier. I think people in general are trying to be smarter about what they eat, you know, and then, you know, obviously you'll have certain things um, related to the holidays that that's sort of important. Um, but for Christmas Day, um, we actually go to um, TGI Fridays uh, right after we go to a movie. So we go to a movie and then we go to TGIFs for dinner. And, uh, you know, usually, you know, it's not like I don't go like super crazy. I mean, so one of the general rules I have with eating out, and I mean, I don't mean this to sound super snobby or anything like this, but if I'm going to go to TGIS, I'm just going to get like a, you know, salad or something like that. I'm not going to get, you know, ribs and fries and, you know, kind of. I, I, I have to admit, I have an issue with chain restaurants. I just don't like them at all. I, I, I guess I'm a snob. I'd rather sit at home or eat bland food at home than go eat a chain restaurant. It's just, it's just all, it's just like a factory. There's nothing special about it. Everybody has it. Whereas. Okay. That, that's what I'm saying is that, is that my rule is if I'm going to eat out in general, it's gotta be special. And so if I'm going to go to TGIS, which is kind of, you know, it's kind of a, a remainder from an old life, you know, all I'm going to do is just eat responsibly or as responsible as you can at, you know, TGIFs, right? So, you know, when I go to the movie, I'm not going to order like a tub of popcorn. That would be, I mean, if you like popcorn, hey, God bless you, you know. I don't understand why they don't serve air pop popcorn yet at movie theaters. You know, I'm sure some do, but isn't that like a, like a, just a basic low hanging fruit that they could put out there? Just throw us a bone. You know what I mean? Like, like really oily, greasy, 2000 cal calorie tub of popcorn or nothing. Of course, Paul, you know, I, I am the person who brings a large purse and, sn and smuggles all my healthy snacks in my purse just because I'm too cheap to buy it too. <laughs> well, I mean, I've definitely brought, you know, Boom Chicka Pop into movie theaters. I mean, I, I, I'm definitely, you know, as a, as a small business owner, I don't like robbing a small business out of a revenue source. But at the same time, if they're not going to give me an option, you know, Hell yeah, I'm going to do it, you know, because I do like the the snack. But I think that's where a lot of people, you know, can go wrong. Now, does that mean that, you know, if you go to a movie, you shouldn't have, you know, a cherry Coke or a pop or, or a cherry Coke or popcorn or whatever it is you do? You know, I think those are the kind of habits that, you know, seem like rituals that you couldn't give up that you can give up, <laughs> right? Because I know for myself, I remember back when I had coffee with cream and sugar and I thought to myself, I will never, ever not have coffee with cream and sugar. I mean, I remember like my, the things that I would never give up 
was my coffee with cream and sugar and my bagel with cream cheese. I never <laughs> eat coffee with cream and sugar. Oh, and if bagel with cream and cheese is very, very rare. Um, but I still do enjoy that on occasion. But I would say I went probably three years without ever having anything. And only recently has that sort of creeped in on occasion. Um, but, you know, when you look at, you know, a tub of popcorn, it's basically like 3,000 calories. When you look at, you know, the 32-ounce pop, you know, you're looking at eight to 900 calories there, you know, and frankly, I don't know about you guys, but I don't feel great after consuming that kind of food, you know, in amounts that really don't matter. It's no protein. It's basically, you know, it's kind of not real butter, you know, and there's just so many negative things about it. Same thing with like the, the TJIS. I'm not like, you know, anti-TJIFs, if you like TJIFs and you want to have potato skins, you know, you go right ahead and do that. But if I'm going to eat out, you know, and, and that's one of the only places available, typically what I want is something that's more of a home run, you know. Um, you know, I, I mean, I post pictures of black sheep cold pizza, you know, on Friday nights for a date night, you know, that that would be a home run. That's like the best pizza in the Twin Cities. So if I'm going to eat pizza, you know, it's one of the best pizzas in the Twin Cities. So that's what I mean. If if, if you're going to, to eat outside of the box, don't waste it on shitty food, right? You know, order good food, you know, that um, – and when I say good food, I mean good food that you enjoy, not just, you know – um, good for you food or, you know, roughly chicken and kale, right? <laughs> that's, that's always my go-to example for what people think is good for them. Um, any other, let's see, we, we have a question and we've got a little bit of time. So let's see. How do you get over coffee with cream and sugar? So this is how I did it because I honestly did not think that I could do it. Um, I went to uh, iced coffee, and I didn't really like iced coffee, but what I figured out was is I was putting the cream and sugar in. I mean, certainly, like if I if someone put cream and sugar in my coffee right now, I'd be drinking it up. Like it, it's still it's still a nice treat. I mean, but it's like drinking a hot chocolate. You know what I mean? Um, but what I found was, is I didn't really like hot coffee. And I didn't really like iced coffee either because iced coffee um, is, is sort of like a condensed version of coffee and it tended to be stronger. So what I, this sounds kind of idiotic, but for me, this is what made the big difference is that once I let my coffee cool, I realized that I could drink it and that I still liked it. I could also drink a lot more of it, you know? And so rather, you know, if I had coffee with cream and sugar, I could only have one and then I didn't like coffee black. Now that I like coffee black, I can have two, three cups of coffee, you know? So um, that was actually a big motivator is having more than one cup of coffee 
um, was one of the reasons why I started liking black coffee more. Um, but it did take me a while to get over that, you know. Um, I will also say that when you work out and you start to realize that there is a connection related to food and you're not just viewing it from the standpoint of down, down, down all the time, you start to realize that like people will say we, we were actually had a meeting with Jordy and Caitlin just before this. And there was a lot of people, you know, there's a, a lot of people always talk about sugar. There is really no argument to make for sugar, right? Um, and I'm not going to make an argument for sugar now, but what I would say is, is when you eat sugar, you're taking away the opportunity for something that's better and could add to your system. So the more sugar you have into your diet, similar to the cream and sugar example, the less opportunities you have for things that add to your system. In December, you know, things have, you know, been kind of dicey for me. You know, I've been, you know, still focusing on getting in workouts and all the other things that, you know, we all try to do and make those things a priority in our life. But the food component hasn't been great. N normally I notice that, you know, if I'm at like a party type setting or, or something of that nature and I'm planning around that, that I might not be able to you know, fit in the normal food type stuff you know, like even Chipotle, you know, with their E. coli scares right now and stuff like that, um, it's still better because, you know, if you get double or triple meat, you, you're looking at 70 grams of protein up to 100 grams of protein, you know, in one food source. Now, I'm not huge on getting all my protein in one meal like that, but if I was going to a party obviously I'm not going to have, you know, that amount of food. And so if I'm going to go to a party, kind of depending on what's available, you know, um, I might not be able to get enough real food in that scenario. So I would say, you know, December has been represented by not getting enough real food. And the more, become, more you become overly reliant on processed foods, you know, I think you're sort of really missing out on, you know, adding to your system more. And so for anybody that thinks that we're not a fan of whole foods, you could not be more wrong, you know, but we don't believe that demonizing, you know, any form of food leads to a better approach. We think we can make a strong argument for whole foods without saying don't eat a lot of sugar, right? I mean. I think you're kind of a moron, right? If if you have if you let me put it to you this way. If you're talking to people and you're telling people to not eat sugar, I I think that that is the most moronic argument ever. You really don't think that people don't know that sugar consumption is bad for them, right? or that there's some level of negativity related to it. I think us making the argument that whole foods adds to your system more <clears throat> is much better than demonizing sugar.
April, help me. I'm coughing. Okay. I agree about the sugars. And I do think that like what she said, you know, having a diet primarily with whole foods, your body's going to be healthier. Your skin's healthier. Your hair's healthier. You know, just nails, everything. You're, you're going to feel better overall. I do think there's a difference between, you know, you can eat a diet in, in whole foods and be able to enjoy two cookies after dinner if that's your thing. But, you know, saving 700 calories for, you know, 16 cookies after dinner, I think is, you know, a little bit different. You know, yes, you know, some people follow the, and, I, and I'm not judgmental in any way, you know, the, some people follow the if it fits your macros type thing, but I truly believe that your body will be happier and healthier with, you know, primarily whole foods with, you know, treats and things like that fit in, you know, in moderation. Yeah, I, I just, you know, I, once again, I agree with you that like something like if it fits your macros makes some sense, but the problem with it is that oftentimes it just ends up being dieting with shitty food, you know? Um, and you know, most people that are talking, if it fits your macros, they're not talking about it from the standpoint of maximizing work capacity and they're not talking about it. They're just talking about, you know, fitting in their crappy food habits with less and then, you know, losing weight as a result. That's awesome. I just don't know how strong those people will be, right? If they're not adding some level of food as it relates to their work energy output, you know, then they're sort of missing the boat. I also think that if you're doing something like a, if it fits your macro strategy, there's no question in my mind that if you're cutting, that having a more whole food strategy helps with hunger signaling and you're going to be a lot better off in that in, in in that capacity and that's one of the ways that we counsel our coaching folks you know and we make sure that if you're going through a period you know that we refer to as performance focused fat loss because we believe that performance should not be neglected even in a period of cutting what i think is sort of you know, one of the bigger problems that, that people that arise for people, you know, going into like the new year is they want to pay the price for bad decisions that they made over the 11 months. So basically how it works is, right, you have that one month where you were going to be really super conscious of how you eat. And then, you know, within weeks, you decide, I don't want to sit on that treadmill forever. Um, I'd rather just have some bad habits and then all of a sudden you've accumulated bad habits, stored body fat over the course of 11 months and then the very next year you try and atone for that. What we're saying is, is have a plan for those 11 months that's not so restrictive, that doesn't you know, require you to do things that you don't like to do you know, and then make it a little bit more of a lifestyle. I mean, when you look at the majority of what we do with Eat to Perform, it's really an argument for sanity. It's an argument for moderation. And people tend to see better results because 
they're never off the rails. When you go, you know, to a really extreme approach, eventually, whether it's extreme exercise, you know, in the case of extreme exercise, you're either going to get sick, you're going to get hurt. In the case of extreme dieting, you're going to get sick, you're going to get hurt, right? With you to perform, those types of things don't happen, you know, and the reason why they don't happen is because people have a plan for the periods where they, they aren't dieting, and then when they're in a deficit, the deficits aren't so extreme, you know, um, and uh, at the end of the day, you're addressing fat loss both ways because when your calories are going up, you're seeing fat loss because you're building lean tissue when you're working out and you're getting better at working out and you're running faster and you're lifting more weights and 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 all those types of things they 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 really add to your life in a way that you know hating yourself lean never will and um yeah i think i think you hit the nail on the head with the what you said you know eat to perform is basically a lifestyle change you know, it's a lot or it's a lifestyle, you know, it's not, you know, I, I need instant results in two weeks or, you know, it's a diet, you know, it's a lifestyle, you know, it's something that you can sustain forever, you know. Yeah, I, I, heard it, I sort of hate the whole it's a diet, it's a lifestyle thing. Like, I'm not a fan of that because most of the time when somebody says, well, I'm not dieting, it's it's kind of a lifestyle for me. I'm like, well, tell me what you eat. Well, I eat chicken, I eat kale, I don't eat sugar. It's like that doesn't sound like a lifestyle. That sounds like like a life of no joy, you know. Um, I said it was not a diet, not that it was a yeah, diet. Like I feel, yeah. I, I feel like I don't feel like it's a it's a lifestyle. I feel like it's a lifetime, right? Where this is, you know, what you were doing before. Okay, if that worked for you, awesome, keep doing that. But if you're listening to us, it probably didn't, right? And so we can sort of free you from all that because now, will you reach your goals? Yeah, but it's a different approach to looking at it where you're keeping food as part of the equation for the rest of your life, where you're viewing your 97 year old self as someone that still is active as someone that's still functioning that's you know assumes that life is going to have hurdles and that you'll be able to adjust to those hurdles right if you're looking at like a rigid system you know the flaw in the problem is when your when anything happens when any hurdle happens if you're doing a rigid system it will cause you to be face face full of cheesecake like that if right you, if you're looking at it as a rigid system then the flaw and the problem is you <laughs> you're the you're the flaw you're the issue yeah because every single thing i mean death in the family um bad report card uh you know like it really anything that could happen you know like if if you're building a life that requires your life to be stress-free hey good luck with that 
You know, I don't think that that's going to happen, you know, and I think that's one of the biggest reasons why the, you know, success rate of dieting is so awful, you know, is, you know, people don't really view it. Well, first of all, every time I hear something, I still, you know, to this day, I don't hear a lot of people talking about recovering from dieting. You know, I don't hear a lot of people talking about having, you know, maintenance periods in a, in a real way. I think they, they give kind of like, you know, lip service to it, you know, so they'll have a book and then 99%, 99.9% of the book is, you know, this is what you should do. Like we all don't know how to lose 10 to 15 pounds. We all know how to do that, right? The part of the book that's the point one is the most important part, right? That's the part that everybody fails on. The losing 10 to 15 pounds, we all know how to do that, right? It's the part where you normalize your system that I think is where eat form makes the biggest difference for people, you know? And so when we're looking at 2016 and we're looking at, you know, holiday eating and, and, and things of that nature, you know, don't view, you know, uh, I, 8% are bust right? Or in the case of a female, 15% or bust. Like who who really gives a shit if you're 15% or if you're a dude and you're 8, 8%? I mean, there's a lot of 8% dudes that can't do like half the shit I can do. You know what I mean? Like whoop de do. you know, you're 8%. I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, you know, when I was single digit body fat, um, you know, and, and I may be single digit body fats in, you know, the next three to four months, you know, but it's not it's not going to happen because you know like it will make my life infinitely better i will be happy because of it it will happen as a result of work it will happen as a result of wanting to get better at a sport you know there will be a reason behind it rather than some made up reason that doesn't really you know happen in the in in the long term you know, when you look at the best physiques in most gyms, you ask them how often they work out and how many years they put into that working out, and you're going to hear a lot, right? That's why we focus on performance. And that's why, you know, I think, you know, as we sort of shut this down, the one thing that I really want to make a big case for is the fact that, you know, whatever athletic version you are, you know, focus on just getting better towards your goals. You know, don't look at someone, compare yourself to them, and then, you know, have that be the standard you're trying to measure up to. You know, the only thing you have to do is get better than you were yesterday and sometimes forgiving yourself for not getting better than yesterday, right? Because you're going to have those days, you know. I would say most of December has sort of been like that for me, you know. But I'm really excited about training for my competition in January. I've got my eyes on a few things. I certainly have not gone off the rails, you know. Um, I've just not been great with, you know, kind of my my meal meal timing and, and things of that nature, some of my workouts have been a little bit more sporadic. 
um, that's fine. You know, I still have my oars in the water. You know, I think if you keep your oars in the water, you'll be fine. You know, um, but I always hate when people ask me, you know, do I need to be an excessive exerciser to do eat to perform? No, you could literally start from doing nothing and then, you know, walk around the block and boom, you're eating to perform that day. You know, um, I just feel like, you know, when people say that, they're giving themselves an excuse to not make their health a priority. And I feel like if you can keep your oars in the water, you're making your health a priority. And, and that's what we're really about. And that's what, you know, our team talks to people about on a daily basis. And I think, you know, when you look at what we do, we're surrounded by a lot of joyful people. And, you know, we try to kind of bring that joy, you know, to the whole system. Um, did have one thing, I think, <laughs> Aaron saying it's one of his favorite episodes so far. I feel like I'm ranting a little bit, you know. I, I hate it when I get like super luxury guy, but you know, towards the end, I really feel like this was something, you know, I want I want when this it's been about eight years now since you know I lost 80 pounds over the course of about two years, right? The best year by far was that third year, right? When I was just done. When I was done with all the bullshit and I was done with all, you know, I'm, I'm glad I paid the price. The only thing that I would say that I, you know, I've, I've mentioned it many times, I regretted it doing it that fast, right? Because... You know, there was, there was a lot of things I didn't know in that process that I had to learn. Um, I probably lost more muscle than I would have liked. Um, I could have stayed strong. You know, I wasn't really a weightlifter or anything like that. But I think that, you know, if you look at 2016 and you're, you want, like, something that's just really to hold on to, you know, just, like, let go of all that other BS and then just view that as the year that you're going to move forward rather than focusing on looking back all the time. And I think that's my resounding message. You know, if, if you look at, you know, this being eight years, there was the two years was, was kind of the dark period where, you know, I was doing things mostly right. I was mostly eating to perform, but there was, there was definitely periods of performance-focused fat loss, that was a little uncomfortable. Once that was out of the way, you know, it was awesome to be able to sort of move on. And I've done performance-focused fat loss in that six-year period, but it was nowhere, it was way more enlightened than the early stuff. And I had learned so many lessons. And of course, you know, having Mike and Brad you know, on staff, you know, has been helpful having April available, you know, to, to, as a, yeah, as a sounding board has been helpful. So I hope everybody appreciated this. Um, I think we're going to really be able to set you guys up well for 2016 and we'll kind of go from there. Cause we're sort of expecting that over the next, you know, two to three weeks, we're going to be pretty busy folks. <laughs> so, 
I appreciate everybody being there, uh, being here, and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye now. Good night.